On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's communities, Teach the Global Goals, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities with educators around the world. Oh, I guess we have to, let's see, we have to put in here what we're talking about. Brad, you have one job here, man. I know, I know. I don't, listen, preparing is just not my job. That should never be my job. Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Brad Shreffler. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We talk about travel plans coming up, games and videos worth checking out, and our guests today are the four, that's right, four, authors of Inclusive Learning 365. I think it's the first time we recorded on uh, ever on Zoom. I'm trying to think of a time, any time back in the day, uh, whether we ever did a thing on Zoom, and I'm not sure we did it's it's different it's hard to record a it's, podcast it's on Zoom. different it's different and now that like you and i are training off the editing editing responsibilities you were so kind as to let me edit this episode that had six people at a time who definitely didn't talk over each other at least once <laughs> uh, <so laughs> it happens cool. that's like podcasting life that's, that's yeah it is that's no it's trials funny. and tribulations i like i i put in our notes a video that what I was reminded of it, so it happened to pop up in my feed on on uh, TikTok yesterday, I think yesterday the day before. But while we were recording, it just immediately popped back in my head, and it's it's apparently all the way back from 2014. But it's if Zoom meetings were real, uh, and it's people in a boardroom pretending to do Zoom meetings, and it was just like at one point there's a dude in the room, and then he just walks back into the room and introduces himself again. And he's like, oh, sorry, I got cut off. <laughs> it's just. Or they're talking over each other constantly. It's it's funny. It made me laugh and just made me not what the audience will hear of the interview coming up here, but what we had to interact with a couple of times while we recorded. It's it's just funny when you have four people who who obviously love what they do, love the book that they just wrote, are proud of it, and 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 are really um, you know well versed in the topic and and all have different perspectives. You know that's 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 people talk over each other it, it is it, it is kind of what it is and, totally and that's fine. the way it happens um so I, I was it's funny i was telling them that i'm going away for the first time um and uh, uh on uh well i'm i'm staying at a hotel tuesday night because my flight's early but i'm going to new york city um and who which is underwater apparently um mm-hmm. unfortunately yep. Um, I'm going to New York City um, next week uh, for the first for, for my first travels, um, you know, in 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 the pandemic period, I suppose. Um, so I'm a little nervous. Uh, I have to jump through a billion hoops just to get on a damn plane these days, which is insane. Like if you thought it was bad before, um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. You know, uh, I'll tell you all about it. I, I'm quarantining when I get home because my uh, my youngest son has a surgery on the 15th. I get home on the 10th and and I don't want to mess with his ability to get that surgery done. Um, it's it's just his tonsils out. I, I shouldn't say it's like a big deal, but, you know, um, but I don't want to mess with it. So I'm 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 going to be living in my basement 
for um for the five days basically. how different is that from normal though like how not a whole lot different <laughs> i joked about it in a meeting that like like the the biggest difference is that um the biggest most substantial difference of me staying in the basement um is 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 that i'm not going to be doing a lot of the cooking which is what i normally do like i i cook probably like 90 percent of our meals um and i won't be um so that's that's going to be um, the hardest adjustment to to that. Um, well, this will be a good test with my... your kids, though. Like when when you get done with your quarantine and you're making like the first breakfast or lunch, and they're like, "Oh, can't mom cook again?" Then you'll know like they really they really want her to do the cooking. I'm a way you. better cook than Cheryl. <laughs> I'm a way better cook than Cheryl. Oh, throwing that out there, no yeah, hesitation. She's gonna listen. She's gonna listen to this. She's gonna make you to... sleep in the basement oh. for a week. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'll be quarantining for a year. <laughs> um. So yeah, yeah. Tell, tell, uh, football season has started. Yeah, in uh, in full swing down here in Florida. So I had oh I had two nights in a row of football actually, uh, because my college team, University of Central Florida, go Knights, charge on. Uh, they had their first home game of the season on Thursday night, and then yesterday, Friday night is was uh, the first game for the high school I'm at home game, and um, both of them experienced weather delays due to rain and lightning and um both of them resulted in me spending hours outside in the rain with wet feet so you know i actually really enjoy football i don't mind even uh chaperoning football games uh when i'm an, an admin but doing it in the pouring down rain and standing by a fence and telling people to stop standing at the fence for hours was not super fun um, it also resulted in an 18 that hour sound straight like football day. to me. Yeah, no, it also resulted in an 18 hour day. I was at work at 6:30 and I left around midnight. So, it was a lot. It was a lot for a day, but you know, our team won. So that's cool. Now, that was Do neat. you watch like NFL football like like tomorrow, you know, is your know, game day. Will you watch? Will you watch football on TV? I I used to. I typically won't anymore unless I'm like out with friends somewhere and since I don't do that very often. Um, I, you know, that's not normally a thing for me anymore. I used to when I was in when I was in college and out of college early on. I did watch a lot of football. It, fo- I really enjoy watching football, but not having to be stuck at a TV every Sunday, like for some sort of obsession that I couldn't let go of, was is, yeah. is, that part's nice. So when I quit doing fantasy football, it made it a lot easier to walk away on Sundays. Hey, speaking of fantasy, tell I, I actually have not um seen or watched the spider-man teaser at all like i i don't um sorry so listen straight up in in in, including zelda spider-man is another thing that i just i don't know how we're friends sometimes i just don't (laughs) give a damn about spider-man i i've watched all the batmans i've watched all of the um marvel movies multiple times um you know i i like you know, I'm I'm Lord of the Rings. Like like I like I like good fiction, you know, movies and content. I've never gotten into Spider Man. I have to be forced to watch Spider Man. It's just 
It's just one of those things that I've never been into. So, you know, tell me how good I, it was. I am and... just a I am just a classic straight up Spider-Man fan. I I love Spider-Man. I've always loved Spider-Man as a character. I think, you know, the the story of Peter Parker, this common, you know, kid who's this common nerdy kid who manages to get superpowers, I think just speaks to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, but the the Tom Holland stuff has been good. The newest Spider-Man now that he's in the MCU has been great. And what is the teaser for this makes it clear that so many awesome things are going to happen in this movie, um, that we are getting a full-on multi-dimensional Spider-Man movie with, they're going to be pulling Tobey Maguire villains, they're going to be pulling Andrew Garfield, and yeah, the villains and the other Spider-Men are both in this movie, and it looks like we might even be getting like a multiverse Sinister Six, which is awesome and amazing and i cannot even tell you i've watched this trailer like 17 times at this point and it's caused my wife and my son and i to start a straight rewatch of all like eight movies that would lead up so we're going all the way back to 2002 toby Maguire. we're we're watching the 2002 toby Maguire spider-man then we uh, we're almost done with the first one and then we've got second and third then we'll do the two andrew garfields um, i'm also making my son watch the uh 97 like the late 90s uh spider-man cartoon that was awesome on fox kids back in the day so it's all spider-man in my house right now getting ready I- I might have, you might have been able to get me if they had done what I thought they were going to do at one point, which was cast Donald Glover as Miles Morales. Um, but they didn't. Yeah. And so they didn't get well, me. So he's I was, actually. I was, I was, was kind of here for that. So it actually, he is, um, he's Miles Morales' uncle, technically. Oh, is he in the, is he in well, the Well, no, but his appearance, the way they, ca- the way they credited him in his appearance in the, um, the, the first Spider-Man with Tom Holland, it implies pretty heavily that he would be Miles Morales' uncle, the Prowler. But, yeah. Interesting. There we go. So maybe there is a... Maybe maybe we will see Childish Gambino. We may. We may. You never know. Be down, I might be down for that. Um, I, it's it's funny. So I've been thinking about this a little bit, and I kind of... It's, it's funny that the last episode we talked about this streamer who is... Uh, who was simulating his his stream as if he was a sim character and letting people um and, and you know I've been going through some meetings at work um you know uh, vetting basically online community platforms um you know for for use at 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 paper and one of the things that is striking me as um as obvious, these days is that gaming and gamification, um, you know, has 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 so become universal in its adoption and usage and and, and is is a common passion of so many people. Um, and, and that's what I've been thinking about this week when I've been in these meetings. Um, but also um, what's really funny is, um, you know, paper uses slack and um someone had had started a video games slack channel uh in our in our slack um company slack and then wrote in the general slack you know if you're down with video games join join the video games channel and it was instantly full like we have about 200 full-time employees at paper and there was there was instantly like 50 people bop in there having great conversations about video games and it was so 
funny and revealing. Um, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone that at a technology company, there would be people into video games, obviously. But um, it just, you know, between these meetings and that, that, that funny Slack experience, it just reminded me how important it is that, that, that teachers, like, so I, I can pivot this to education super easy. And that's that educators need to remember that, like, like gamification has become universal in its application and it is a it is a language that almost every single human understands in some way shape or form and if that's not what we're trying to do in education then i don't know what the hell we're trying to do because what we actually need to be trying to do right is is finding those universal ways that we can all connect with each other and learn together and it's it's becoming so obvious that that gamification is one of those ways yeah and and i mean there's there's still holdouts right like there's still people and i think that i i know we've talked about this but i I, to me it's that it's that miss of like the misconception by a small number of people who don't understand like that games can be a wider conversation than just saying like oh it's a bunch of middle schoolers on Fortnite cursing at each other and being derogatory to women like yeah that that happens but also it's like that that that's that happens too, at yeah. every other job like that that like it just happens at work like if you ever worked in a restaurant yeah that happens there too like have you ever been into uh watch a, fo- a football game at a bar happens there too like to say that that happens and therefore means all of those things are bad it, i don't agree with right and so yes there are parts of it that people can point to and have problems with of gaming in general 100 percent. don't get me wrong i mean twitch just went dark this week because of problems in that community in that space 100 percent understand yeah but that doesn't mean that it's all bad right and i think that when we talk about games as a universal language, going beyond just video games in general is also a really powerful thing because the, the 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 psychology of why games work as a learning tool is true beyond just video games. It's just, in my opinion, modern kids these days are more interested in video games because they're more dynamic and engaging than playing a game of Scrabble. Um, not that I don't like Scrabble. Scrabble's fine. But, like, you know, it, there's a difference between video games and board games and card games. But that the psychology, the game mechanics, the things we can integrate into classrooms and use to teach are still there. But also that community piece. I mean, I, I know you support this, but just having a board game night with your family or friends, that's the best, right? Like, just hanging out, chatting, laughing, making fun of each other for bad decisions. Those are all true across the board. And they, they do cause communication, cause interaction, cause human connections. And so to to get sidetracked and stuck on the little pieces that are not that I, I, you know, I don't support. And I think we absolutely need more inclusion of it and acceptance of it in the education space. And, and we're getting there. We've moved that needle way farther than we have in a long, long time, for sure. For sure. So just something to think about for all you out there. Uh, and, you know, if you ever have any questions about like gamification you know there are tons of people that are super willing on twitter to talk about this and gu- even guide you through it uh including myself and and i won't speak for brad but you know probably brad too he's, probably brad he's got tons of free time <laughs> tons of free time so so there's lots of people that you can reach out to so if you're still on the fence i i imagine if you're listening to this podcast you're probably not on the fence uh we're kind of preaching to the choir here 
but hopefully you can like share this with someone and you know they might be on the fence yeah there might be people listening that agree with it but haven't actually taken the steps in their classroom right i think that's a definite possibility there you go take those steps Take those steps. There's the takeaway. Hey, we have a really good interview. It's 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 long and 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 excellent. And so uh, we want to get to it uh, right away. So when we come back, we'll be talking to the four authors of Inclusive Learning 365. So stay with us. It is like a spider web. These diverse interconnected spaces help and inspire us to understand, empathize, and take local action in our schools. That's Yahaira Guedes, a facilitator within the Teach the Global Goals community on Participate. The community is home to hundreds of resources, courses, and educators around the world, collaborating on how to bring the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals into the classroom. With our students, and as a collective to be a powerful force to achieve the vision of a more peaceful, healthy, and equitable world. We'll hear more later in the episode from another community facilitator on why you should get involved. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guests this week, four of them, are authors of Inclusive Learning 365, Ed Tech Strategies for Every Day of the Year. It's published by ISTE. This book has amazing ideas for how to design meaningful, inclusive instruction. 365 of them, actually. It's, it seems to work that way. Welcome to the podcast, Chris Bougay, Karen Janowski, Mike Murata, and Beth Poss. Welcome, everyone. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Four people. This is exciting. So uh, I'm actually going to, because I didn't really share your bios like we normally do. So I'd like to go around the room and do that. Uh, we'll start with Chris and then Karen, then Mike, and then Beth. Go ahead and tell our audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background in inclusive learning, any, anything you want to share. Yeah. So, uh, so my, my name is Chris Bougay and I am the assistive technology specialist for Loudoun County Public Schools, which is up in Northern Virginia. And the quick story there is that I'm, uh, my, my background is as a speech language pathologist, actually. And a few years into my career, uh, the, the school district asked me to um, be one of the founding members of our assistive technology team. And today, 20 some years later, um, I like to think of it as a inclusive design facilitator. We, we've come to find that using technology um, that's for students with disabilities can actually be used by everybody. And I'm Karen Janowski. I am an assistive and inclusive technologies consultant in the greater Boston area. My background is as an occupational therapist. And uh, I, when I first started working th over 30 years ago, I noticed that we seem to make students dependent on adults through the strategies that we use. And so I decided to really get into this whole assistive tech, ed tech area to promote and empower learners for independence and success. And this book, Inclusive Learning, you know, we really put our heart into this to reach every learner. And it's really an exciting time to share it with them, with, it, with everyone. It's really for all educators, not just special education. And hey, everybody, I'm Mike Murata. I am, uh... So funny. I come to education a little bit differently. 
um, than the rest of my cohorts here. Uh, I am an actually I'm an engineer by training uh, that found his way into this world of assistive technology to help people with disabilities, uh, and that was 30 plus years ago. Uh, and I couldn't imagine doing anything else but that now. So I, I kind of wear multiple hats. I, I'm a consultant, similar to Karen. I have my own consultant company that I go out around the country and work with teams and work with um, state agencies to help them provide uh, services to students with disabilities. And then I'm also the director of the New Jersey Assistive Technology Advocacy Center, uh, which is our federally funded Assistive Technology Act project for our state. So making sure that people across New Jersey get access to and understand the benefits of assistive technology. I'm glad to be here. And I'm Beth Poss, and I am currently the Director of Educational Programs for a EdTech company, LessonFix. Um, but I spent 30 some odd years in the public schools in Maryland, where I live, um, including time as a special education administrator and um, assistant principal. And my background is as a speech language pathologist like Chris. Um, but I like to refer to myself um, in general as um, an inclusion advocate. Um, and what I found in my long tenure in public education um, is that when we make education more inclusive for those who tend to be excluded, that we actually make education better for every learner. Awesome. Uh, as someone who's a community builder and, and believes in social learning and, and stuff like that, I love that there's, you know, you're all kind of different and you gather because you have this like shared, um, you know, shared love for a specific topic and you bring your different experiences to the table. That's, that's exactly what, what kind of social learning and community of practice thinking is, is all about. So, so, I mean, this book is, freaking big like it's, it's, it's huge it, it it is the probably like we get we get probably 10 15 books a year from ISTE um and do and this is like one of our best partnerships is doing these interviews with with ISTE writers that this book is um going to take up a lot of real estate <laughs> on my bookshelf um and it, it almost feels you know I look through it and, and it's awesome um, and read a bunch of things. And actually my wife is a kindergarten teacher and I was like, babe, there's, there's stuff in here. Like you, and she's really into, um, in inclusivity and equity. And, um, she just tweeted a couple of days ago, all the books she bought. Um, you should go check out all the books she just bought to, to read to her classroom, um, that are all about, you know, equity and, and race and gender identity. And so cool. Um, you know, this feels like an almost, overwhelming in some cases amount of things that you need to do in order to feel like you're teaching inclusively. Um, it would get real easy to feel bogged down um, maybe with like looking at this and going, oh my God, I'm not doing any of these. Um, where the hell do I start? So, so someone triaged this for us. Um, where, where, is the, where is the low hanging fruit in the book? 
All right, I'm going to take this one, everybody. And that is the idea that it's 365, that it's a it's a steady march towards getting better, not trying to do it all at once. Um, you know, an inclusive strategy we talk about in the book is, is how um, if a student's going to be writing, you get this big white piece of paper or a big white digital space, and it feels overwhelming. What do I have to write? Well, we say, break it down. Use, use a graphic organizer and fill in little spots. It's the same strategy for professional learning when it comes to inclusivity is thinking, all right, where do I start? What's What's one strategy I can start with? And this book is built around that, that it's meant to be one strategy a day. And I think, Mike, yes, it seems overwhelming until you open the book and you see, oh, I don't need to read the entire book all in one or even one chapter. There's a sh very short introduction explaining our yeah. philosophy. And I hope that people who read it adopt an inclusive mindset. But then you can go into the different categories. Maybe you really want to focus in on the reading category or the social emotional learning category or the professional learning. You can just dive in one strategy at a time. And so we really break it down very effectively to make it into bite-sized pieces that are, is more manageable. Yeah, And the other thing too, is that as we start to break it down, one of the things that I always um, feel very positive about when people start looking at the book is some of the tools that connect to the strategies are tools they know already. And it makes them look at them a little differently. Like, oh, I don't have to relearn something completely new, but instead I have to think a little differently about a tool I already know or something I already use. Mm. And that's exciting. That's why we started strategy first and work towards tools um, so that people would make some of those connections. And I'll just add one last thing is it's the idea that this should be viewed as just in time learning so that, you know, you can use the indices to, to, to find what you need help with. And then it's just a page to read, like for each strategy, it's literally a page with the idea that you can go in and find exactly what you need at that moment and apply it. And I think that's where that low hanging fruit is, right? It is not intended for you to sit down and read this cover to cover. Um, it's that you taking one little bite at a time. It's a, it's an inclusive learning field guide. Um, like you can, you can, you know, I need help with something for reading. I, I realize my reading inclusivity is weak. Um, so you flip to the reading section, you look through the ideas, you pick one and you use it. Um, you know, and maybe a couple weeks later, you're reflecting on a writing lesson, and you're like, ah, this could be, this could be better. And so you flip to a writing, you know, a writing option and, and, and try it, right? So maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's the best approach to, to this book, for sure. Um, that's, that's super helpful. Yeah. And I think, Mike, the other thing, too, is these are activities, these are that learners are doing every day. But we want um, educators to really evaluate them through an inclusive lens so they see them differently. They may, you know, it's just a, a whole different paradigm shift, a whole different mindset in thinking about how can I offer this type of activity or this instructional method in a way that is more inclusive. So there's strategies around, around every possibility in the classroom. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. You know, I'm... Um... Uh, even as we're talking, I'm still skimming through it. Like I just kind of find myself picking random pages and looking at them, like, cause I don't obviously have a lesson to plan as we're in the middle of the podcast, but I, you know, as I'm looking at it, I could kind of to one of your points that you go through it and you find that 
there's tools you already know inside of here. Like just flipping through in the last like 30 seconds or so, I found Minecraft. I found, um, uh, I found, um, I forgot the name of it. Uh, Scratch. There's the one I'm looking for. You know, things that have been on this show many, many times before that Mike and I have both talked about are in here. But like you said, with those little tweaks, but it's also that beyond just the book itself, there are 9 million extra resources linked to outside of the book. So I'm kind of, it seems like every single one of these has a tiny URL or a QR code or something to point you to additional resources outside of the book. So my question is kind of just looking at this, it just looks like the most like 17 years of work for the four of you I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so could you give, give me a little bit of an idea of like sort of maybe how the book came to be and, and what your guys' process was for even accomplishing something this massive? This was actually something that came out of work that Chris with his team had been doing for a really long time. They had created a strategy of the day calendar um, that um, their team had produced uh, for many, many years. And it was one of those rip-off calendars that um, you know you would sit on the top of your desk and rip off for, for each day. Um, and they would share it out at trainings um, that they would all do. They provided it to their educators. And it got an overwhelmingly positive response every, everywhere that they shared it. Um, and Chris is a previous ISTE author. He's got a couple of other books that were written by ISTE. Um, and so he approached ISTE with the idea of writing um, a book that was based on that, on that strategy. Um, and we were all fortunate enough as um, um, uh, professional learning colleagues of Chris's to be uh, invited uh, to, to participate in it. So that was really excited. I was actually just reflecting this morning um, to a friend that I don't know. So we wrote this, we started writing it pre-pandemic, right? But we wrote the heart of it during the pandemic when we were home, you know, for the most part. Um, I don't know how, I, I don't know how we would have written it the same way if we hadn't been home. I was, I was just reflecting on that today. Like, how would we have written this? You know, it was the, the perfect timing for working on a book like this. Um, it was also the perfect timing societally for the kind of collaboration that we did because what we basically did is we got on Zoom sessions for um, an hour or two at a time. We would write, um, we, would, we would look at each other's work and then we would get on Zoom sessions and talk about what we were doing and talk about what our next steps were. And so it was also an opportunity where we as authors um, probably needed connection with other people. Um, and it was a great way for it to happen. Not great circumstances, of course, with the pandemic, but if you look at silver linings, I think um, what happened allowed us to probably produce something better than we might have in a different circumstance. So the pandemic lens though, had to have changed, like, like equity was a big part of the pandemic conversation. Um, you know, device equity, you know, homes with internets. I mean, how many stories did we read of kids sitting outside the front steps of their school just so they could get the damn Wi-Fi connection because they didn't have access at home? We saw news articles about that, like kids sitting for eight hours in the front steps of their school to do their work. 
because they weren't allowed in the school, but they couldn't have access. To that happened all the time. Um, and that's just, and that's just for kids that can, for lack of better words, that can walk and, and do have the ability to be mobile and move around and, and, and not some of the things that you're talking about when we, when we talk about, um, kind of the whole in, in inclusivity picture. So what change, like, like that pandemic lens had to have been a, a huge part of thinking through writing this. Mike, beyond just writing this, of course, that did inform the the, the book that was we, we were never busier. The four of us were never busier than when the pandemic first struck because and so many other people that kind of um, work in our same sphere of, of influence when it comes to um, helping people design educational experiences for everybody um, and making materials available to everybody. Suddenly we didn't have some, you could just take this, um, this worksheet that I had or this, this thing that uh, on a piece of paper and turn it over to somebody else who would convert it for me to make it accessible. I didn't have that person anymore. A lot of teachers started to realize, how am I going to do that? And we were super busy going, we've been screaming this for years. We'll help you. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll jump in and we'll show you how to, how to not do that in the first place. Why are you going to be using a worksheet? How, interested in is, is that can we do something different um which i know is uh something you talk about all the time right making it much more engaging and and um and, and an empowering experience school rather than just do the mundane boring things so this is um um that sort of uh spotlight that was shined on or shown on on how inaccessible things were um and how little people knew about it uh was really a bright spot for us uh literally a bright spot because we could then go in and say um yeah here these are strategies and easy to do strategies we can we can show you how to choose this instead of that and how you can use an accessibility checker or use immersive reader or use um well, there's all sorts of different strategies that we use with the tools that support them and finally chris people were ready to listen to that right yeah Right? That's what it was, is that we got to that point where um, it wasn't just a screaming into the vacuum. It was it was people having a very personal experience to connect that to, to understand why. It was their students now instead yeah. of just some kid somewhere else. Right. And yet, Mike, both Mike's. I am more terrified than ever right now, probably more than pre-pandemic, because I've got kids of my own going back into school, and now they're coming back um, with their backpacks filled with papers again. And I'm like, have you not learned anything? What? Dad, look at all the papers I have. Um, we can't do math in a digital way. We have to do it on a piece of paper. What kind of bunk is that? We just did it for a year, right? I mean, uh, and there's so many tools out there and strategies to do it. So uh, this, I'm really fearful of teachers reverting and yeah. going back to what they new instead of learning the new stuff that you just spent a year learning lean into that if you're not putting your stuff online in an accessible way you're leaving kids out you know yeah that's so that's so upsetting to hear chris that that's um your own kids experience i mean the thing that that we want educators to always think about is what is it we want our learners to do or what is it our learners want to do and then that drives what we offer, what strategies we use, what tools. And it's all about when we think about inclusive, I mean, we really inclusive learning is needed by everybody. But the point is we want to offer flexible materials. We want to offer choice. We want to embed um, interactivity. We want to, you know, just use all of the options. And one of the biggest things we we always push this. I mean, we really we've got kids who are multilingual learners. We've got kids who are who are evolving readers. How are they going to independently access text? And there are so many audio options, text to speech options. 
that's one of the things we really want to ensure that educators know about. We can't have the, the instructional materials be the obstacles for our learners. Which is exactly what's happening in Chris's case that he just described. We, we've reverted back to the way it was as if the way it was was good. Oh. And it's really not uh, for many, many learners. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, as, as, as my new role as an assistant principal, I, I look at a lot of these materials now with a mindset of what can I do with this in my own school with my own teachers. So I'm curious if, you know, as a school leader, how would you take this book to your staff? Because um, I mean, as we've talked about, the, the, the massiveness of it is a lot. So if I told every one of my teachers, okay, book study time, here's this you know, 700 page book, let's have fun. I don't think that's going to go over great. So what would you recommend in terms of using this to drive real change at the school level? So Brad, I'm actually doing a two-part book study with our local ISTE branch, MassQ, and it's only two parts. The first part kind of set the stage, and we really talked about adopting that inclusive mindset and about, you know, some of the things that we really want to reconsider and think about. And then at the, and on the final session, what we're doing, and actually we're using a Padlet for this, encouraging people to look at individual strategies and think about uh, implementing them and seeing how it works and sharing the ideas. So I know that you guys keep talking about the, the thickness of the book, but again, digest it in small pieces. You know, look, maybe you're focusing in on um, research and studying. So go to that section and, and just adopt or implement one or two strategies and see how it works and share it when, when we meet again the second time, let's share those ideas that worked. So yes. it's just, you know, small chunks. Yeah, awesome. if, if I was back in my school as, a, as the assistant principal where I was in charge of, of leading many a book study, um, I, would, I would absolutely not set the expectation that all of my staff were gonna read this from cover to cover. No. Um, there's a lot of different ways, you know, I might break it up based on, and you're, you said you're in a high school, so I might break it up based on content, right? I mean, it'd be perfect. Have my um, math and science teachers be exploring the STEM part, have my, um, <clears throat> you know, social studies teachers maybe looking at the writing or the research angle, have my English language arts staff split up the, uh, you know, the reading looking at those different things, making sure that my art teachers and my music teachers, you know, maybe I would be pairing them with my, um, with my uh, math and science teachers to do that STEAM, STEM section. I mean, we have all of that as a part of it. And then you could actually take one of the strategies that's in the book, um, which is uh, uh, <clears throat> pineapple uh, charts, which is basically a strategy where you have educators getting to observe each other um, doing a lesson, right? So have that opportunity for your, for your staff to be able to see that lesson, you know, a lesson where they've applied one of the strategies um, in, in person, where they get to sign up and say, I'm going to go visit, you know, a teacher says, I'm going to make my classroom available at this time for somebody to come and see, and you sign up to go and do that. Um, there's lots of different, you know, the ways that you might be able to do it, have some carousel um, or round robin type uh, sharing of those. Uh, again, taking, not having the expectation that this is all going to be devoured in one sitting, but that um, you're going to have bite-sized chunks. And maybe those bite-sized chunks are going to be one of each section's um, 
for each different group across the year. Like that whole group is only going to explore one section reading it, but that everybody's going to come together and share what they've learned from it. Yeah, I, I actually see this as kind of an interesting opportunity to take the book study approach and put it on its ear um, because yeah. this isn't what I would consider a traditional book um, because it, it lends itself to more conversation around the larger concept of inclusive learning. And so that is kind of your touchstone, but yet it gives you these opportunities uh, and we, when Beth said that carousel learning or this idea of breaking us out into groups, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's almost ed campy in its, in its approach where everybody chooses a path through this with the overarching conversation being more inclusive learning, but yet I choose to go to reading this time. And then maybe next time I, I choose to go to research and studying. And it gives me those different paths to get to the core of not just learning more tools, because I really do feel like we need to break people of that. You don't always need to learn more tools. Um, but what you need to learn is how effectively implementing those tools can change the experience for your learners. And so even if people are in those groups and they haven't experienced any of those strategies yet, just hearing from others, from colleagues that might be doing that, will jumpstart their interest in perhaps pursuing that as well. So I, I think it um, is, it's, I'm excited to do one. I, I crashed into Karen's book study um, that she was running just because it seems really fun. Uh, so I'm looking forward to running one too, because I think it has a lot of potential. Awesome. So the, the reckoning, I guess, I've been using that word um, in regards to um, um, the realization that North America has come to regarding inclusivity, in, in particular, um, um, the, 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 the conversations that we're having about racial justice um, are, are, are really important. And, um, you know, in Canada, and in particular, you know, I live in southern Ontario, but in Canada, you know, we're, we're talking a lot right now about our, our First Nations, that's for Americans, that's the way we refer to our Indigenous people, or one of the many ways, I guess. Um, but we're having a lot of conversations about how to, um, um, how to work with our First Nations peoples, um, in particular in the light of what's happened, um, you know, with residential schools. Um, and, 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 you know, um, we are in the midst of having our own, you know, brutal legacies kind of un, um, revealed, um, you know, you know, Canada is sometimes, you know, talked about in this like idyllic way, um, but, you know, we have demons too. And, you know, holding ourselves up as high and mighty, you know, you guys had slavery. Well, I mean, we did some pretty bad shit too. So like, it's, 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 it's not all rainbows and sunshine up here either. And, so the, the point, uh, I am getting to a question, I promise, um, is, is that, you know, in this, in the midst of this reckoning, in the midst of this realization that we need to um, help students feel seen and help students, um, you know, um, you know, tackle and, and deal with, with everything that's going on in the world, um, I'm seeing a lot of performative action a lot of like hey we'll put some posters of first nations people on the damn wall and 
bam, we're done. That's, I am being so inclusive. I can't even, and it's happening a lot. It's happening a lot in Southern Ontario and it's pissing me off to be honest, because, because like there are schools in, in particular, in there's a, a school board and I'll, I'm happy to call them up because I have nothing to lose here. Um, but the, the school board PDSB, Peel District School Board, one of the largest school boards in Canada is, you know, predominantly, um, you know, um, um, East Asian people, um, India, Pakistan, um, Philippines, and, and, you know, they're, they're not helping those people almost at all in a lot of cases. Um, and if they are, it's super performative. It's, 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 let's, do read a story about Ramadan and then we're done. We, we crushed it. We're so my actual question is, um, you know, what are the risks? And, and this is across the board, not just with race issues, but with uh, inclusivity across the board, what are the risks of performative inclusivity? I, I want to talk about the danger that, that, that teachers can get themselves into, but school districts and when they pretend to do this because I think a lot of that is happening right now. And, and, you know, the difference between what is happening and what you guys are providing is like, you're providing real solutions, but people are putting posters up on the wall and saying, I've done it right. I've nailed this. And, and what are we, what are the risks of that? What are the dangers we face? Some of you have been in school administration and, and you, you understand this, I hope a little bit. Um, and I'd love to love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I'll be happy to chime in on that. And I think, I think it is a very real feel. I think there has been a lot of increased um, attention to it, but it comes down to not simply talking the talk and not even walking the walk, but it comes down to developing an inclusive mindset. And we talk a lot about that. Um, throughout the book, but also in the um, work that we do with other educators, the importance of developing this inclusive mindset um, and, and, and really truly believing that all learners are capable and that it is our responsibility as educators to find the strategies, the resources and the tools that are going to allow our learners to show um, and develop to show what they know and develop as learners. Um, so I think you know I think that's the the first thing is you can't just you're not changing your mindset when you simply do something performative. I um, mean I have to say um, as a um, you know as a white woman that is. Um, I'm in a constant growth path myself. Um, I don't have all the answers and I make lots of mistakes um, in terms of equity and inclusion, but I do believe that I have an inclusive mindset. And so it's being willing to reflect and look at, look at your practices um, and consider the strategies that you can employ um, for your learners and for yourself. Um, a lot of it comes down to changing the language that we use. And that was a big thing that we all discovered as we were writing this book um, and that we made some really purposeful decisions around the language that we used. 
um, because we found that the language that we used demonstrated um, inclusivity or lack of inclusivity. Mike, I can give you a very practical example of that. And we talked about earlier how um, at the start of the pandemic, a bunch of teachers were saying, how do we make our stuff accessible now? We realize we have to do that. And of course, teachers will learn, right? They're, they're very eager to, to, to learn when you give them the, 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 um, the opportunity. And so uh, we went off and we taught a lot about accessibility. Well, here's how you make your materials more accessible. Do an accessibility checker before you put it up on your learning management system, and it'll help you fix it. And then uh, the accessibility checker will they'll teach you how to do it next time. So next time you'll know you have to put um, uh, text in where a picture is, alter alternative text, uh, because you got dinged on that on the accessibility checker, right? And as we were doing this, uh, these sorts of trainings over and over, uh, day after day at the start of the pandemic, our ed tech team came to us and said, you know, uh, you guys are doing a great job teaching about accessibility. It's, 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 it's just what teachers need to hear. But just because it's accessible, doesn't mean it's a good lesson, right? Like, uh, yeah, it's that performative piece. Like, okay, well, I, I the thing is still like sort of boring, and I don't really it doesn't jazz kids. It doesn't make them excited about learning. It's just kind of a rote thing that they do. Yeah, the tech can be read out loud. Yeah, it's a screen reader can do it. Yeah, it, it's adjustable, and you can change the font size and all sorts of stuff to make it more accessible. Yeah, the video has captions. It's still a terrible video, you know. Um, and it's like, yeah, we really have to talk about redesigning education from an inclusive lens, getting back to, to Beth's point about doing those sorts of things, making helping teachers become more flexible and using more strategies that, that are uh, embrace learner variability helps people adopt that inclusive mindset. And I think too, Mike, another way to think about it too is maybe the performative inclusivity is the starting place. And instead of seeing that as an obstacle or something that we want to, you know, it, that's, that might be the, the door that opens them up to think, the, that opens educators to think in new ways and to think more inclusively across the board. So we don't necessarily have to see that as a negative, but that can be the door that opens them into thinking more inclusively, which is what our goal is across the board. And going back to Beth's word, having people reflect, being reflective. Reflection. Um, you know. I, I, I think that, you know, in, in general, I, I always tend to harp on this because I don't know that people are as reflective as they should be. Right. I think we rush from one thing to another, to another, to another. And then when is that moment to say, um, how did that go? Or why did I do that? Or what should I do next time? Or what benefit did that have for the learner or the other educators around me? Um, and, and sometimes for, for some of us, myself included, I find I do it all the time. I have to be physically stopped once in a while to reflect. And I think it also comes down to looking at the, we did this with in writing this book around strategies and we very purposefully built it around a strategy versus a tool. And it's because we wanted to look more in depth at the why of things, right? So, so the, the, if we look at this in this way, if the tool is simply that poster that you're putting up on the wall because why are you doing it? Are you doing it because somebody told you that's a way to make your classroom more welcoming and inclusive? Or are you doing it because when you um, have books, learning materials, um, and more that show diversity in your classroom, that those things become mirrors for your learners and they are more likely to 
um, be engaged and knowing that that's a surface level of that, but understanding like I'm doing this so that my learners can see themselves as, you know, as being featured as opposed to being hidden um, in, in that world. And so it's looking at that why and it's reflecting, like Mike just said, it's reflecting on that why, the why of we are doing things, not just the how we do things, right? Awesome. Well, guys, this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate you all joining us on the show um, and definitely want people to check out the book, Inclusive Learning 365. There's definitely some awesome uh, tips and strategies in there for all classrooms, all students and all learners. So definitely recommend that. Given that there are four of you, I'm going to say that Twitter bios and links and stuff will be in the show notes, or you all can visit inclusive365.com, which has links to everybody's information as well. Um, So uh, from On Education to all four of you, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. This is Ava Gay Blackford, another facilitator within the Teach SDGs community. I believe that education is the most powerful force to encourage human rights and dignity to wipe out poverty and strengthen sustainability to build a better future for all. I think others should join this community because it creates a support network for members and serves as a global gathering place for teachers to share stories and support one another as we all figure out what learning looks like during the current global pandemic. To access hundreds of resources about the global goals and to connect with almost 1,000 educators around the world, join the free Teach the Global Goals community. Visit go.participate.com slash global goals to get started. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Brad Treffler. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Brad Shuffler. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you would share it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.